Good morning, again. Welcome to another episode of the Girl Teen Podcast. I hope everyone is doing well, staying healthy, staying warm, maybe grab a cup of tea if you want to listen to this podcast. But as the name suggests, today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things in the world. This thing is literally, well, these things are literally unbeatable one-of-a-kind and the best things to ever happen to the world, and those are books. In today's episode, I'm going to be sharing a couple of books, my favorite reads of 2022, and I know it's March already. I've done a couple books this year already, but I want to cycle back and take a final look at 2022 by giving you guys my top five list of books that I read in 2022. And I have to say, I didn't do a lot of reading last year, which I'm kind of disappointed about. So we're going to try and increase that number this year. To start off, my first book on the list is a book that I have been reading for years. The first time I encountered this book, was probably in third grade when I was much too young to understand the book. I remember I was like 30 pages into this book and I asked myself, why is the book so thick and why are the words so small? Because as a third grader, I was still reading those chapter books with really big words in them. And I just had some trouble understanding the contents of this book, but then later, a couple of years, maybe in seventh grade, I read it again and I was like, wow, this is an amazing book. It's very basic, laid back, but I love it. And in eighth grade, I reread it. So technically, this isn't my first time reading it. So last year, I reread it again because I love it so much. So that's why it comes first on my list. And general please, that is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Some of you may be thinking, that is a really basic book. Like, it's not very eventful. Yes, I know Little Women is a pretty boring book to some because not a lot happens. There's no big dramatic event. There's no like, it's not very thrilling to read because it's not a thriller, right? It's part of the Bildungsroman genre or this coming-of-age genre, and that's the reason why I love it so much because I am actually a very big fan of of coming-of-age books because I find them to be really relatable, especially when the protagonist is a girl, and that is the exact case in Little Women because We follow Jo on her adventure through life, and we come into her her expectations as a woman along with her sisters and mother, and their father isn't around for a long time, right, because he was part of the war. So it really highlights the roles of women in a family and in the public during that time, and I find it very interesting to read about it. And we come into many family and love relationships, which I just found to be so heartwarming 
and interesting to read about. Like Joe and Lori and then Amy and Lori and Meg and Beth and all those little sisters and the love between them. I just love that book so much. And I think it's really important for people, especially girls, to read about little women because it definitely demonstrates the importance of determination in one's life and not letting the impact of outsiders or pressure of norms to get in your way because from the story we can really see that Joe didn't exactly conform with the stereotypical roles of women during that time so she definitely you know did her girl boss moment there And I think it's incredibly important to recognize that, which is part of the reason why I love this book. And I think it's closely, I think this book is always like attributed to Pride and Prejudice because of the similar times at which they were written. But I do feel like there is a stark difference between those two books because I feel like Little Women highlights the working aspect of women more and less of the love relationship and I feel like they're two completely different books but they're definitely attributed to one another and I actually had a debate with my friends over these two books which I know sounds really stupid but it was actually pretty funny because we just got to see each other's tastes in books and I figured that my friends are hopeless romantics And they didn't really understand the point of Little Women, which I feel like is an issue, if I may say, with a lot of readers. Like, they will find a book that is quote-unquote boring without really looking into the content and the author's, like, message with that book or intent behind the book. Now, to the second book, it is another Bildungsroman book, coming-of-age book, and it's called A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, written by Betty Smith. So this book is very similar, actually, in my opinion, to Little Women, although there aren't that many family relationships in, like, the case of sisters, There definitely is a strong family relationship between Francie and her family because I find that with this book, because they were so poor at the beginning, it definitely strengthened their family relationship because they had to work together to earn money. And Francie and Nolan, I think, was her brother's name. They had a great sibling relationship. And overall, I think this book just demonstrates a normal family life, but how special a normal family can be. Because um, I don't want to spoil anything in case you haven't read it but are planning to read it, but many things happen to this family. They face so many obstacles, and really the book is all about reflecting and portraying the obstacles of this family, how they overcome them, and how it brings them together as a 
family. Okay, I just searched it up, and no, Francie Nolan is her full name. That is not her brother's name. I think Nellie was his brother's name then. I might be getting this completely wrong, but um, it's okay. I'll search it up later, but going back to the book, I'm going to give a little spoiler, so skip to like 10 seconds later if you don't want to hear the spoiler, but if you have read it, you know that Francie's father dies in the middle of the book, and although his their father wasn't exactly a good person, he was definitely a good father to them, and I think that is a really big part of our culture today, because I find that while some people may not be great people, they're really good at doing a certain thing. And we look at them and say, wow, we admire them for doing that thing and being great at it. But then we look at them as a whole and we're like, wow, maybe they weren't that amazing and perfect after all. And that's okay because sometimes we can just pick certain parts of a person to admire without admiring them as a whole and we pick parts of them to learn from we pick the other parts to not learn from and take as a lesson so we can be better and I think a tree grows in Brooklyn is just such a laid-back book once again it's like little women as in nothing specific happens Is it about a poor family? Is it about a girl who falls in love? Is it about a girl who gets sexually harassed by a random man on her way back to school? Is it about her mom? Is it about her dad who drinks and smokes all the time? We don't know. And the thing is, we will never know because that's the point of the book. It's to highlight as a whole the story of a family. And that's why... I find it to be so touching and inspirational, in fact, because tracing back to Little Women again, both of these stories highlight a girl's life. In Little Women, it kind of highlights the sisterhood and a section of her life. And then in A Tree Girls in Brooklyn, we follow Francie through her whole life. And both contain meaningful experiences and it shows how those experiences and difficulties that they face in life how they make them grow in a way that will allow them to overcome them in the future which i find to be extremely inspirational and i like to apply these stories to my own life because I find that after I read books for at least a week or something, I try to make myself as similar to the protagonist as possible, especially if it's a coming-of-age book. Because as a girl, as a teenage girl, coming-of-age is a very big part of my life. And I feel like relating to similar characters from books is a great way to start. And I recommend everyone to read those books. 
if you like coming-of-age books, if you just like books that you can read comfortably in bed without thinking too much, really. Now, for the third book, however, this one's a little bit different from the other two that I've been talking about, and it's a classic, but people have varied opinions on that, that this book. Very different opinions, because I know people who absolutely love this book with their whole heart, and I know plenty of people who despise this book because of the kind of basic idea of it, if we look at it now, and also because it doesn't really make sense at the beginning. And if you know it, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, good on you, I'm proud of you. And this book, as I said, is a little bit different from the others. Fahrenheit 451 is this dystopian novel, which comes from the word utopia. So it's like dystopian, not utopian. And Bradbury wrote this book, as he mentioned in an interview in 1956, if I remember correctly, that he wrote this book not to encourage the burning of books, but to prevent the burning of books in the future. He wrote this book in the 1800s or 1700s. I'm forgetting my literature history, but he wrote this book a couple of centuries ago. So clearly he did not have the technology we have today. So he didn't know what the consequences of the technology could be. And in fact, we still don't know today. So this book really does fit into multiple eras of the world and generations because of how true it is. And Bradbury loved libraries and books, so the point of Fahrenheit 451 is to portray the ignorance that the public sometimes has for books because of a disappreciation for books, if that's a word. And Bradbury mentioned that he was inspired by the Nazi book burnings and the threat of the United States to burn books at his time. And this novel was supposed to serve as a warning for the future that might come because of book burnings. And if I remember correctly, because I read this book two years ago in a literature class and the book is about Guy Montag, who I consider to be both the protagonist and antagonist of the book. While that may sound paradoxical, but I'll explain. Basically, in this book, it takes place in this dystopian world, a very futuristic world where people have no contact with books. They barely know what books are, they don't read I mean, they have a couple of cartoons, but that's about it. They don't read words, no newspapers. The way they get their information from the media is from television, phones, you know, technology, digital technology. And that is a form of media censorship. So people don't read in this world. They don't visually 
intake knowledge. In fact, they really don't take knowledge at all. Their only intake of knowledge or views on the world is through gossip and biased opinions and biased news from the digital technology that they have available for them. So it's a very ignorant world in the way that they don't exactly have any material knowledge of importance. And that's why most of the people in this book are depressed, to put it bluntly. In fact, one of the most key characters that express this depression is Montag's wife herself, Mildred Montag. And people in this world are so forgetful that Guy Montag and Mildred do not even remember where they first met. So it really shows how little people care about the world around them and how focused they are to a little screen. Ultimately, we can view this book as a reminder that maybe perhaps this is what is going on in our world today because we don't realize it until we look at it like we're reading a book because we may be so ignorant of what happens around us that we start to care less and less and while it may not be as dramatic as book burnings it's still a very similar concept that we need to raise our own awareness and consciousness and make changes and perhaps look at things differently than other people do and not conform to what the public tells you to if it's for the good obviously if it's for the bad then maybe do what the public tells you because you know obviously you don't want to be the odd one out in a negative way or maybe you do but that's up to you moving on to the second to last in our book list we have all the light we cannot see by anthony doer and this is a war book about world war ii which talks about these two little kids on the two different sides of the war one is parisian and the other is german so they are fighting on two different sides and this book just similar to little women actually i find that i can connect all of these books together in a certain way maybe except for fahrenheit 451 but this book contains several relationships and it talks about the importance of relationships during any time but in this case it's very obvious because of the war so the relationships that allow each character to survive are depicted in a more exaggerated manner if i may say and the reason why i like all the light we cannot see is because to put it simply it's just a very heart-touching book and it's a great story about relationships and the story switches between the viewpoints of the two characters and it allows you to see 
what each side is thinking about the war because they're fighting on two different sides. And although it may not be exactly historically accurate, most books aren't, but I still like this book because it's actually one of the first war books I've ever read, and I think it's getting me more into the genre of, you know, war books, if that's what they're called. I'll have to search up the specific genre, but I think it might just be about war. And it's historical fiction, and I love historical fiction because it kind of, well, it doesn't kind of, it literally just takes a section from history and adds the author's creativity in it, and I really enjoy learning about history, especially if it comes into parallel with the knowledge I'm learning at school. So overall, All the Light We Cannot See is one of the first books about war and history that I've read, so I think this is going to be a new beginning for me in reading. And honestly, I don't have that much to say about this book. It's just that it was very touching, and it's one of the first books that I almost cried from. And now we are moving on to the last book in our list, which I'm going to take the longest to talk about. So the final book on my list may actually be one of the best books I've ever read in my life so far. So I don't know why it's the final one on my list, but we saved the best one for last, I guess. And my favorite book of all time right now is 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And I was talking about this book to other people, one of them being my literature teacher. And he said he didn't know this book, but he is someone who reads a lot. So I realized that even though this book is really famous, that not a lot of people know about it, which kind of surprises me because of how good it is and how it should be a required reading for all high school or college students. Moving on. This book is a magically realistic book. It's about magic realism, and basically it's about this town called Macondo, which is very secluded, and it was started by the Buendia family. It is a generational story of a family who lives in this town. And it's about the development of the town, the family members' stories, the events that happen. And one thing I find really interesting about this story is that there are so many names. It goes through like five different generations of people in one story. And we, the readers, encounter many characters. And what makes this book so confusing and hard to read is that many of the characters have the exact same name. And perhaps it is from the culture in this book or from Marquez's own culture that people like to name their kids after themselves or after relatives that they like or look up to. So while reading this book, I had a lot of trouble keeping up with all the characters and events. But I made it through the first time, and I reread it, and it kind of made a little more sense. But while doing a little bit more analysis on this book, I found the contents to be really interesting. So really, if you do read this book, I will say it is a little bit confusing to read at first. 
And if you don't like it, I really recommend reading it a second time because I promise at least 80% that you will like it when you read the second time. This book is kind of about human isolation and the negative effects of it. Because Macondo, which was the town started by Jose Arcadio Buendia, was a secluded town. They really kept in contact with no one except for a couple of gypsies that would come each year to present their findings and inventions to the town, who would actually reject most of these findings and technology because they were so egoistic of their own town that they believed that they didn't need anyone else's help or interception. So this book really highlights the consequences of being too isolated from the society. And at the very end, please skip if you haven't read it, but at the very end, basically, the entire town, when it's in its ruins, gets completely destroyed by a magical sandstorm, which comes from this map. It's very confusing, and coming out of context myself, I think it's really confusing for someone listening to this podcast. But anyways, the ultimate reason for the city's fall was for what's was because of the roots of its creation from isolation and because there was no one else to help this rotting town it ultimately died because it was started and i find it very interesting because another main theme of this book is the circular nature of time Gabriel Garcia Marquez made it obvious that the past and future are always blending into the present in a cyclical manner. What happened in the past will find its way to the present, which will happen in the future, so the future comes back to the present. And it's a very confusing and abstract notion, but I found it really interesting because When you read through the book, you find that many events are repeated. And in fact, the death of one of the characters is the beginning of the book, which even makes the theme more dramatic because you're bringing the future into the present of the reader's book. And I think Marquez did a great job with that theme. And another theme is memories and the past. I felt some nostalgia reading this book, even though I swear I had never read a book like this, which might just be me and me overthinking the theme of memories in the past, but it's really interesting when you think about it. And 100 Years of Solitude talks about, as I said, this family. And what happens to this family is that Jose Arcadio Bandia and his wife Ursula create their own life and hundreds, perhaps not hundreds, but like at least 10 generations of people. And the only way they sustain themselves is by working in this town. However, the town, at the end, we realize that the town itself cannot sustain itself, which leads to its death and 
the death of most of the people in there because the moment they come out of this town, they realize, oh shit, I have no idea how to survive. What am I going to do? So I think reading this book makes it very obvious that maybe we are living inside our own nutshell right now. We don't know what's going outside of our world. And this might relate to Fahrenheit 451 again, but we need to go out in the world and see for ourselves what we are missing out on. So we don't accidentally end ourselves because of our isolation and ignorance of the rest of the world. And I think 100 Years of Solitude demonstrates that in a very exaggerated way. But I think that's what makes the book so amazing to read and confusing to read. But yeah, I think that's about it. Unless I'm forgetting to talk about something. Just to recap, the five books I talked about and what you must read the moment you get out of this podcast are Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, which is the coming-of-age book, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, sorry, by Betty Smith, also a coming-of-age book, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, which is a dystopian novel, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Dilwer, which is a novel a historical fiction book about World War II, and finally, my absolute favorite, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, which is this magically realistic book about the town called Macondo. And I recommend that everyone click out of this podcast right now. I don't even care if you finish it and go read the books right now. And tell me or tell everyone in this community how you feel about it so that we can talk about it more, perhaps. Who knows? But that brings us to the end of this week's episode, and I really hope you guys enjoyed it all. I hope we can talk next week again, and as Truman used to say, in case I don't see ya, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.